0: is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Welcome once again to Trinity Grace. So glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Michael, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Grace. Many of you will know that we just wrapped up a summer series looking at the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and in a few weeks, the Sunday after Labor Day, We're going to begin a new fall series looking at the New Testament book of Acts. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking or taking a look at a few standalone passages that highlight some values that we hope will characterize our new church as we continue to grow in life with one another. As we look forward to a new season of the year, as we wind down summer vacations and kids go back to school, as we get back into a normal routine in our lives, and with our families, we also get the chance to settle back into life, into the life of our church community. And as we do that, I'd love for us to focus, like I mentioned, on some things that we hope characterizes our life together as a new church. One of our core values here at Trinity Grace as a new church is hospitality. We want to be a church that is hospitable, Hospitality is an interesting concept that you actually find all over the pages of the Bible. And you might know that you can learn a lot uh, about something simply by looking at the word itself. And anytime you see the English word hospitality in the New Testament, it's a translation for a Greek word, philo, which is a compound word meaning philo, love, sinos, strangers. It's love of strangers, hospitality, love of strangers. It's being fond of guests, those that you don't know yet. It's being given to welcoming strangers. It's what we hope to do a lot here at Trinity Grace over the coming months and years, to welcome strangers, to help them feel like they're at home. We want to be a church that seeks to build community with one another. Now, what do I mean when I say community? Community is being intimately tied to one another in fellowship. Community means really knowing other people, knowing who they are, knowing what they struggle with, knowing their joys, knowing their sorrows, and allowing other people to know you in return. And the Bible talks a lot about community and how God's people are meant to be tied together in intimate fellowship how we're to seek out the stranger in order to bring them into that experience of community that we share with one another. It's part of hospitality or loving strangers to do that. After all, if you think about it, it's what Jesus has done for us, seeking us out when we were strangers and showing us love. A while ago, I was sitting with a friend who lives here in San Antonio and he was telling me the story of them moving out of their house. They were moving out of their house to another house and they had lived in this house for a handful of years. And the day that they were moving out, their U-Haul was in their driveway as they were packing it up and their next door neighbor saw it as he drove up at the end of the day coming home from work. And my friend, who is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, said that he rarely talked to this neighbor. Even though he lived next door to him for years, they rarely interacted with one another. And he said that when his neighbor saw the U-Haul in his driveway, the neighbor came over to see what was happening. And my friend told his neighbor that they were moving, that they were leaving their house. And his neighbor proceeded to gush about how great a neighbor my friend had been. And he thanked him and thanked him for being such a great neighbor And my friend said that in that moment, his heart just sank because he didn't even know this guy's name. He'd hardly ever talked to him over, over the past few years. And the fact that this man even thought my friend was a good neighbor was sad. And he said it was a stinging indictment on who he was as a neighbor, as a friend. And it was one that was hard to shake for him. He wanted to tell this neighbor, that our real neighbor would have been so much better than what he experienced from him. But it's a small picture, I think, of what life can be like in northwest San Antonio. What life is often like in the suburbs, right? One thing we noticed when we moved up this way to the suburbs from a more urban neighborhood a few years ago to plant the church is how isolated people can be in the suburbs. People come home, they pull into the garage, they shut the garage door, and very rarely do you see others hanging outside, talking, enjoying one another. They don't engage unless it's required. You've probably experienced the fact that it's hard to cultivate connection and community in your neighborhood. Yet, we need community. That's what the Bible says. We were created for community. Our friends and neighbors are starving for community. Let's turn our attention to a psalm that highlights the beauty of community. Psalm 133, three very quick verses. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. In her 2005 novel, The History of Love, one of the main characters poignantly touches on their battle with loneliness and their desire for connection. Here's how one of the characters speaks to that issue in the book. I often wonder who will be the last person to see me alive. If I had to bet, I'd bet on the delivery boy from the Chinese takeout. I order in four nights out of seven. Whenever he comes, I make a big production of finding my wallet. He stands at the door holding the greasy bag while I wonder if this is the night I'll finish off my spring roll, climb into bed, and have a heart attack in my sleep. I try to make a point of being seen. Often when I'm out, I'll buy a juice, even if I'm not thirsty. If the store's crowded, I'll sometimes go as far as to drop change all over the floor, the nickels and dimes skidding in every direction. I'll go into the athlete's foot and say, what do you have in sneakers? The qu- clerk will look at me over like the poor schmuck I am and direct me to the one pair of rock ports they carry, something in spanking white. Nah, I'll say, I have those already. And then I'll make my way over to the Reeboks and pick out something that doesn't even resemble a shoe, a waterproof booty maybe. And ask for it in size nine. The kid will look again more carefully. Size nine, I'll repeat, holding his gaze while I clutch the web shoe. He'll shake his head and go to the back for them, and by the time he returns, I'm peeling off my socks. I will roll up my pant legs and look down at those decrepit things called my feet, and an awkward minute will pass until it becomes clear that I'm waiting for him to slip the booties onto them. I never actually buy All I want is not to die on a day when I went unseen. I wonder how that strikes you. Maybe you can sympathize with the character from that book. Maybe you have a hard time understanding how that feels. Maybe to you it seems a little dramatic, that story. But no matter how it strikes you this morning, it's important to know that loneliness is becoming an epidemic in our culture. In fact, it's becoming such a problem that there are scientists at the University of Chicago who are currently working to develop a pill to cure loneliness. They're they're developing a medication, a pharmaceutical medication that will help with loneliness. This is from a recent article, news article, discussing that team. It reads this way. Dr. Cacioppo is leading a team developing a loneliness pill that she hopes will help relieve the more severe symptoms suffered by the acutely lonely. Loneliness is widespread and contagious. It's an epidemic, says the doctor. She says, stressing her goal is not to stop loneliness, but rather to regulate the ways that feeling lonely affects the mind and the body. This is where this team of scientists thinks a loneliness pill could help. Loneliness is a major problem in our culture. And it's an opportunity for the church to love and to serve our culture in a profound way. In fact, there have been some good books recently written by Christians encouraging the lost art of hospitality and community within the church. Christine Pohl is one of these authors who writes a great book on community entitled Making Room. And she says this about the opportunity that we have as a church. She says, we, like the early church, find ourselves in a fragmented multicultural society that yearns for relationship, identity, and meaning. Our mobile and self-oriented society is characterized by disturbing levels of loneliness, isolation, and estrangement. Look, it was in this fragmented, lonely culture that the early church exploded. in a a lonely, fragmented, multicultural, mobile society that the first century church overtook the world, largely because of the community that was being offered by followers of Jesus. And it's in this same space where we increasingly find ourselves today and we as God's church have the potential to make a major impact on our culture, on our society, on our friends and on our neighbors. But you know as well as I that community can be hard. Truly investing your life into other people and having other people invest back into you can be one of the most difficult things we ever do. It takes time. You actually have to carve out time to spend with other people if you want to experience community. It takes effort. You have to think of something fun to do oftentimes, organizing an event to develop community, providing some sort of structure by which community can take place. It might take having people in your home on a regular basis if you really want to cultivate community. There's a lot of questions too when it comes to community. What are you supposed to do when you don't agree or have different tastes? What do you do when the conversation runs dry, when things get awkward? When you feel like you've been too open and regret things that you've shared in community, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when you disagree on politics or the way children should be schooled or the best form of worship in a church? Community can be hard. There are lots of things in our lives that threaten to rob the experience of community. The individualism of our culture in which we live, a culture that promotes the idea of being able to make it on your own. Our own hatred towards those who don't think or act like us threatens the experience of community. Our selfishness and pursuit of personal happiness makes community really hard. Our propensity to be exclusive and cliquish in who we interact with kills community. Our busyness and obsession with getting stuff done and being useful can stifle community. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest who taught at places like Harvard and Yale, he spent the last part of his life working with a community of disabled adults in an assisted living environment. And he talks about his desire to accomplish something grand with his life and how that often got in the way of really relating to other people in community. And he says this, More and more the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit at their doorsteps, play ball, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It's a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it's not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be a part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It's difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you're working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and to tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. I think that's what we all really want. To truly know and love other people, to be truly known and loved by other people. God building a community of people who love and follow him, love each other, and love this world is really a theme that's carried throughout the entire Bible. And we get a taste of community in Psalm 133. It's a little bit confusing, those three verses. We're going to unpack it in a minute. But it's a short meditation of three verses on the topic of community. And there's much more that could be said about community this morning than these three verses, but... This morning, I want to focus on these verses and the picture they paint of biblical community. And we're going to look at this quick psalm by asking three questions. Why community? Why community? What is community? And how do we get community? So first, let's ask, why community? Well, we talk about this often here at Trinity Grace, but if you went back to the beginning of the Bible... You would read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that you and I were created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Did you notice that God refers to himself in this verse with plural pronouns? He says, us in our. It's because God is a trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christianity teaches us that God has always existed in community, in perfect love, in security, in fellowship, shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you were made in this image which leads us to conclude that we need community in our lives because we were created for it. When we're in community, you and I are experiencing what we were created for, something that is foundational to who we are as human beings. Something deep inside of us is not right when we're not in community. Our very being is out of alignment when we're isolated and lonely. Because we are created for community, we crave it and we need it. And Psalm 133 begins with the word, behold, behold. David is trying to get our attention here at the beginning of the Psalm. He has seen something so remarkable that it demands to be seen and admired. So beautiful that it causes him to actually write a poem about it. He's basically saying, listen, I'm about to show you something, tell you of something that is important. What does he have to say? What can't wait? Why does he need our attention? Well, because he wants to let us know how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity, when they're in community with one another. The term brothers in this psalm is more than just biological family. David's talking more than just his brothers and his sisters by birth. It includes everyone who's a part of God's family. For us, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. That's our family. If you're in Christ this morning, you're a part of a larger family. And on one hand, that's good news. Something to behold. That in Christ, we'll never be alone in this world. That we'll always have folks to journey through life with. But on the other hand, it brings certain challenges to be a part of family not unlike what we experience in our biological families. Our family is really meant to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, but it doesn't always happen as cleanly as we would like. There's lots of difficulties that come with being a part of family. Often a member of our family can make us so angry that we wish that they weren't part of our family. Or another member of our family might embarrass us or require lots of our attention and time. And it's the same with the family of God. We think, why is that person so hard to be around? Why do they always focus on that agenda? How can I get along with someone who's so conservative or who's so liberal? Family is a huge blessing, even when it doesn't feel like it. It's remarkable the variety of people and the different gifts and the varied insights that that Uh, come together in this family of God that we desperately need. You and I, through this family, although it can oftentimes be hard, we're rounded out by each other. Your passions and gifts and your talents, they're different than mine. Mine are different than yours. And we need one another if we're going to traffic and follow Jesus in this fallen world. We also need community because it brings enjoyment to life, simple enjoyment. I mean, when we're together with people... When we're connecting and loving others, it's good and pleasant, Psalm 133 says. Don't want to just skim by that, that, that small phrase. Community brings excitement to life, goodness, and joy. Watching an amazing sports game, exploring a beautiful city, seeing an amazing sunset, studying the scriptures, worshiping through Psalm, Serving those in need, all of these things mean more to us when they're done with others. When we can share our joy with others. We need community because we were made for it. It rounds us out. It brings enjoyment to our life. Now let's turn and ask this psalm, what is community? And this is where we'll get into the meat of some of those strange phrases. We see David in this psalm use two similes to describe community in verses 2 and 3. The first picture he gives is the oil used to anoint priests in the Old Testament. He says that community is like that precious oil. What are we to make of this comparison here in the 21st century American church? Well, if you wanted to read about the anointing oil for priests, you could do that this afternoon. You'd flip to Exodus 30, the end of Exodus 30, and read about it. And if you read the end of that chapter, you would see that the oil was holy. In other words, it was met, meant to set certain people apart for particular tasks. People gave this oil significance and weight in the community. And the obvious principle for us from this comparison is to ask, do we give significance and weight to community in our lives? Do you prioritize community? This oil would have been expensive. It would have set people apart. It would have prioritized certain people for certain tasks. Do you see community as important? I know how nerve-wracking it can be to walk into a room full of people you don't know. I know how scary and awkward it can be to start up a conversation with a stranger wondering what in the world are we going to talk about. I know how sometimes all you want to do is bolt for the car after worship and head to lunch alone with your family. I know that because most Sundays, that's what I want to do. Unfortunately, I can't. But there are times in your week where you set apart time. I wonder if there's times in your week where you set apart time to build and develop intentional community and relationship with other people. The Bible tells us that community is precious like this oil from the Old Testament. It's significant and we avoid it at our own peril. The other thing you see in Exodus 30 is that the oil for anointing was expensive. If you were to read about in Exodus 30, the finest spices that cost lots of money would have been used. It wouldn't have been cheap, this oil. It would have cost something. And that's another aspect of community that David is trying to convey with this picture of oil here in Psalm 133. Community is meant to cost us something. It costs your time. It might cost your energy. It might cost your intentionality. It could cost your money. It could cost you disappointment. It could cost you giving up your selfish desires to sit and listen to someone else's struggles. Community is meant to be expensive. It's supposed to cost us something. So the question is, are you willing to give up your resources in order to build community? Resources like time and security, reputation and preferences. The other picture David uses to describe community is the dew of Hermon. I know we all know what that means. We can just skip that, right? It's important to know that Hermon was the tallest mountain in Israel. And Israel was a country that experiences a semi-arid climate with desert-like qualities certain times of the year. And during the dry season, the vegetation on the mountains in Israel would have relied on dew in order to survive. They were not getting rain, but the dew would water the plants in the dry season and actually nourish them, keep them alive. And that is what community is meant to do for you and me as well, to water us during the dry seasons of life and to nourish our souls. We all know what this feels like. Maybe it's after you experience a a job loss or a devastating diagnosis or something catastrophic happens in your life, a hard time, and you feel dry. And community is the thing that brings renewal. An encouraging word from a friend, a hug, someone to listen, someone just to be there and sit with you. These experiences can be like dew in a dry season, bringing refreshment. And a question for us this morning is, are you ever there for others? Are you someone who moves towards others in their seasons of need? In their dryness, do you allow others to be that for you, to be there when you're dry, to allow them to refresh and to renew your soul? Do you see your brothers and sisters as the very hands and mouth of Jesus in times of struggle? He's not here physically, but he's here with one another, with us, through us. It's community. It's interesting that David also mentions the mountains of Zion in this passage too. These are tiny hills in comparison to Mount Hermon and they're hundreds of miles away from one another, Mount Hermon and these hills of Zion. But David says that the dew of Hermon also falls on the hills of Zion. Now, what does this mean? I think we can take it to mean that community is meant to flow downhill to the lowest, to the neediest. Community is meant to be all-inclusive for the great and the small alike. And I wonder if this characterizes the type of community that we want. A community for the socially adept and the socially awkward. A community for the talented and for the failures. A community for the able-bodied and the disabled alike. The healthy and the unhealthy, the doubter, the cynic, the apathetic. We want Trinity Grace to be that type of community. Jean Venier, who founded communities around the world for disabled adults, Henry Nouwen being one of the people that was involved in the communities that he founded, says this about that kind of community. He says, welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we're not afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and peace to share. A community which refuses to welcome whether through fear, weariness, insecurity, a desire to cling to comfort, or just because it's fed up with visitors, is dying spiritually. Look, we want to be a vibrant, life-giving community. In fact, we want Trinity Grace to be the type of community where you can belong before you believe. You can come here and belong before you believe. Because that's the kind of community, if you think about it, that we all needed before we believed. We needed a place where we could come and be loved so that we could process the truth claims of the Bible and know that we were cared for in the midst of it all, which eventually led to true belief. A place where we were able to belong before we believed. Wouldn't it be great if we could be that kind of community for our friends and our neighbors here in northwest San Antonio? Okay, we've talked a bit about what community is, why we need it, but how do we get there? You know that it's easier said than done. People can frustrate us, they can anger us, they can disappoint us. And oftentimes community feels more life draining than life giving. Why is that? Well, we tend to think it's because of others. At least I do. If they would just get their act together, If they would just be more approachable, socially adept, if they would just stop being so annoying. But we rarely ever stop and think about ourselves in the equation of community. We never really consider the fact that we might be hard to love, that we might disappoint other people, that we actually might be ones that are frustrating. And unless we take that mindset, unless we're willing to at least consider that viewpoint, we'll never experience the type of community that God wants to give us. The Bible does not let you pass the blame for lack of community. It comes and says that you're the one who's hard to love. You're the one impeding community oftentimes from happening. And even though we would sabotage community left to ourselves, Jesus comes and he brings us back into community. He pursues us. He finds us at great expense to himself, very costly love. He comes in order to bring us back into community. The community that we were created for, community with God himself and community with one another. Jesus came to love you. He came to love me even when we were hard to love. And it's only as we believe and embrace that truth that community is going to be possible for us as a new church. Jesus came to build a community with people who are stubborn and disappointing and frustrating. In Romans chapter 5, we read this. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were hard to love, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Paul says, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. I don't know if you call it the theme of dissent in this short psalm, We see it three times. Oil running down, running down, dew falling down from above. The emphasis of the psalm is one of descending, descending, descending. And it makes sense because true community is only possible as we look outside of ourselves as we look up. As we look up to community descending down to us. Because if we follow the story of redemption in scripture, what we see is that Jesus is one who descends in order to bring the blessing of community to you and me, to love his enemies, to love those who are hard to love. And he does it in an extraordinary way. Remember, Jesus had experienced perfect security and love and fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit from all eternity past. They were together in this beautiful dance of relationship and friendship, of mutual support and encouragement. And on the cross, what happens is Jesus leaves that community to descend in order to welcome us back into that community. He's cut off from that community. He's ripped apart from it in a sense. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken by the Father and the Holy Spirit so that we might be invited back in. The community that we were created for, a holy community, an expensive community, a nourishing community, a community that welcomes the worst of sinners, is on offer to us all because of Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we are thankful for the offer that you extend to be a part of your community, for the way that you came to live the life we should have lived and died the death that we deserved so that we might be brought back in, so that we might be brought back in to life with God and life with one another. And we pray that as we come to believe your love for us more deeply, that you would in turn point us outward, helping us to love one another well becoming the type of community that you came in order to die for. We pray that you would encourage us this morning through this sacrament. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.